This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. How are you this morning? I am doing great, and we're talking about laws and our rights, and we need to remind folks that taxes are laws. And it's so funny to say, in June, it's tax time. <laughs> it is. It's, this is, you know, this is a fluid situation. It's unlike anything I've ever seen, certainly. And uh, and I, I, I love that on Money Talks, they said uh, that tax lawyers are expensive. So, uh, you know, hey, well, good there's, to know that. there's lots to know. Well, oh, gosh, what was it? On one show, we had something because, you know, the, the tax law changes uh, oh, tax laws are written in pencil. That's what we said. That's right. And, you know, and one thing I will say to people is, uh, and this is why I can't give anyone specific legal advice on their tax questions today, uh, is that taxes are not hard. They're just not. They're complicated, but they're not hard. And the reason I say that is because everybody's situation is different. And, you know, things are either income or they're not. They're deductible or they're not. You tax them now or you tax them later. Or you don't tax them at all. Those are all you know, simple questions, really. But it's the, it's the uh, individual situations that make tax law complex. Great. Well, and that's what we're talking about today. Today, it's your 2019, which is due in two weeks, and your 2020 taxes with our resident tax professional, Professor Richard Gershon. So, number one thing that has just, I guess, kind of blown the lid off of everybody is so many people are receiving unemployment benefits due to COVID-19. Now, remind us, is this a government benefit that's a freebie? Is it taxable? Uh, What should folks remember about these? You know, if you had 12 weeks of $600 a week, that's $7,200. So what about those uh, unemployment benefits? Yes, Liz, those are taxable. Uh, Very important for people to know that because... Uh, they are in replacement of income that someone would have had from their employment, which also would have been taxable. So the idea is to to put the person in a similar situation that they were in when they were working, and those benefits, therefore, are taxable. And we did just mention on, in legal terms, I'm sorry, on Money Talks, the representatives from the Mississippi Department of Employment Security were on Money Talks on our April 7th, uh, 2020 show. That's a podcast. If people do have unemployment questions, uh, the MDES website has so many frequently asked questions pages where, uh, and you can listen to our podcast. So please be sure to 
if you're getting unemployment and you have any questions about that, that's where you need to go to get some information about your specific uh, situation. Uh, you know, Richard, what makes some income taxable, but while other types aren't taxable? It's a great question, Liz. You know, Congress, through the Constitution, uh, through the, really uh, through the articles of the Constitution, but then th- through the 16th Amendment, Congress has the authority to tax income from whatever source derives. So uh, the Internal Revenue Code really defines then uh, how certain income is taxed and other things are not taxable. The Supreme Court said that it's an accession to wealth as income. So anything that increases someone's wealth is technically subject to tax. Um, and you know, Congress then decides which types of things are taxable and, and some things that are not taxable. We are talking this morning with Professor Richard Gershon, who is our regular host, and he is also our resident tax professional. We can't answer your specific questions for your situation, but if you have a question about what the tax law is, how it's changed, goodness, how it's just changed over the last six months, we would love for you to call in with your questions. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Okay, let's let's talk about some examples of non-taxable income. Um, you know, we, we want to do right because our, our government is funded by us, the people, so we want to fund the government, but if we don't have to fund the government with some of our money. Uh, so help us to understand what are some examples of non-taxable income. Well, the one I always like to start with is in my class when I have students for the first time taking a tax class, and, and many of them are scared to death about taking a tax class because they think it's all going to be math. And I'll say to them, okay, so, you know, uh, income is taxed. Uh, when you got a birthday present when you were a kid, you know, you got uh, uh, a, a set of Legos when you were a kid, did you pay tax on that? And they look at me like, wow, gosh, I, you know, I don't remember. I don't think I did. And so gifts... Things that come out of disinterested generosity, really gifts, you know, from family members are not taxable. And Congress specifically says that. And I think that makes sense because that would almost be impossible to track. Uh, And typically they occur between family members. So, you know, gifts, uh, uh, as I said, Legos, but gifts of $1,000 to uh, uh, someone in a family is not uh, considered income. Inheritances are not considered income either. Now, people are going to call and say, what about the estate tax? That's different. That's a different that's a different tax. We're talking about income. Inheritances are not taxable on the income tax side. You know, if if someone has enough wealth, it's possible that their estate may be subject to the estate tax. But that's a different thing. So inheritances aren't taxable. And I guess, you know, we talk about the fact that tax and and death are are inevitable. But I, I suppose Congress decided that you don't have to have them both at the same time. So inheritances are not, in fact, taxable. Some things are tax exempt income uh, is excluded. There are other types of income that when people invest in uh, municipal bonds, for example, some of them are tax exempt because uh, they're helping out uh, in a different way. Rather than paying tax on that interest, you're, you're providing that uh, that money to a, a, a city uh, to make improvements, things like that. Those can be uh, tax exempt. And then damages for personal injury. So if I uh, am injured by someone and, and I get compensation for that injury, the injury itself, the compensation for the injury itself 
is not considered income. So there, you know, there are a lot of different categories where Congress says, you know what, it, this, it doesn't make sense to tax these things, even though we're going to tax all other income. Now, on the other hand, illegal income is income. So if I, you know, anybody embezzles money, that, that's taxable. Uh, if they are in, involved in illegal activity, uh, that's taxable. Um, you know, somebody who steals something, that's that's taxable. And, in fact, you know, many, many times uh, part of a, a criminal indictment would include the tax evasion for not, not paying the taxes on uh, that ill-gotten gain. Yeah, I love it. That That's how they caught Al Capone, not because he murdered people, but because he didn't pay taxes. Exactly. Exactly. Going no. back to the, the gifts, um, can you do you remember, can you remind us? How much someone could gift uh, before it becomes taxable or shenanigans or something? Well, there's really no there's no limit on the on the income tax side. Uh, on the estate tax side, there is something called the annual gift exclusion, um, and that is an amount that if someone's really uh, wealthy, you know, right now, if, if you if you really we're talking about a couple having to have an excess of twenty two million dollars in, in taxable wealth to pass to their next generation before the estate tax would even affect them. So, for the for the average person, this is really not an issue. But if 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 you're making a gift of up fifteen thousand dollars per person per year will not even trigger uh, a potential gift tax. So, uh, and that is indexed somewhat for inflation. So, um, yeah, so, uh, but there's no, 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 no limit on the income tax side. So if somebody gives you a million dollars as a gift, that is not taxable. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's really, I think, surprising to people. If it's a gift. Now, the, the, the thing is, if it's something from an employer, it's going to be taxable. If it's in the nature of, I'll give you this million dollars, I'll make it a gift, but really, I want something in return, then that's going to be taxable. So anytime we're getting some, we're giving something with an expectation of something in return, it's it's not a gift, and that will be taxable income. Our pandemic caused the change to some of our tax laws. So what was the legislation for this change? I'm going to tell you next because it's laws, legislation. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, that means CARES, Act K-1, 
contains a significant number of provisions that will impact individuals and businesses related to income taxes. Um, We are talking about some of the tax law changes for 2019 and 2020 with Professor Richard Gershon. All right, let's... There's there's been some special provisions in the tax law implemented to help individual and businesses during the pandemic and economic downturn. So let's talk about uh, what changed because of the pandemic. Well, first of all, you know. Liz, I have to say that as far as acronyms go for tax acts, the CARES Act is one that actually is pretty good. You know, um, so I'll give them credit for that. Uh, you know, uh, when I was in tax school, we had the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, TEFRA, which really was neither, but it sounded, you know, it sounded pretty good. But I think the CARES Act is a, is a, is a good name for this. And, and, you know, part of this is tax is economics. That's all it is. You know, when we think about the tax consequences, we're really talking about just the economics of, of a situation. And so um, what Congress realized, uh, you know, is that uh, the people are going to have economic problems during this time. And so we want to help people out. And that's why the CARES, CARES Act had some tax provisions in it. And, and, you know, it makes sense. So one really deals with retirement plans. That's a, that's a, a big one because people may be in a situation uh, where they have to take money out of their retirement plan because they've had a financial setback due to uh, COVID-19. And that's really important. Uh, you know, that all, all the many of the provisions, I should say, in the CARES Act really require some showing uh, to get this tax relief that a person has been affected by COVID-19. Either they've had it themselves or their spouse has had it or they've had a reduction in hours of work because of it or they've lost their job because of it. So there's going to have to be some proof before you take advantage of some of the things that we're going to talk about under the CARES Act. And so we're not, you know, anyone who's still fortunately employed and, and, you know, uh, having their same salary and no one in their family is sick, these provisions don't apply to them. All right. Before we get into uh, some of the other CARES Act thing, we do have a call that we're going to get to. This is Michael. Michael, we're so glad that you've joined in legal terms today and our talk about taxes. What is your comment or question? Yes, uh, I'm actually going to be kind of gifting of selling a home to my son for far less than it's going to appraise for. Uh, and so I'm going to only take out, let's say, $20,000 of, out of the deal. I've owned a home since 94. Does this affect him in any way? And will I have to pay taxes on those capital gains? Okay, great question. And thank you for joining the show today. And, and the answer is no, you don't have to pay tax on the capital gain. If this is your personal residence, uh, first of all, uh, you would uh, there's some exemption that would apply and it would be well in excess of uh, the money you're talking about. But really, this is the nature of something we call a part sale, part gift. And you're, I assume you're selling the house to your son for less than you paid for it. Um, is that right? Yes, it's actually listed as a rental right now, but he's buying it as a personal to live, a place to live. All right, so as long as you're not selling it for more than you paid for it, um, this would be called a part sale, part gift. Um, he would have the same basis. So he would have 
for his purposes when he sells the home, uh, he would use whatever you paid for the for the property as his basis in the property. So then he would only pay tax on gain above that. But if it's his personal residence, uh, as a single person, you can exclude $250,000 of gain on the sale of a personal residence. Married couples can exclude a half a million dollars. So uh, personal residence gets a lot of special tax treatment. But in it, it, we talked about gifts a little bit in the first part, first segment. And really what this is, if you're if you're selling to a family member for less than its fair market value, the property, that's really uh, in the nature of a gift. And so uh, the Internal Revenue Code treats that as a part sale, part gift. The only time you would have to pay any gain would be if you sold uh, the property for more than you paid for it. Uh, you know, and then you would have to report that as gain. Okay. All right. Great to know. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate you calling in. Today we're talking about the taxes, some of the tax law changes for 2019 and 2020 with Professor Richard Gershon. We were, we're getting into the CARES Act. We have a lot of retirees who listen to the show. And remind us what a uh, required minimum distribution is and... Oh, how how did uh, how is the tax the CARES Act impacting that? Well, as the idea behind retirement plans is that we're deferring income, and so uh, you know at some point you know, the Congress says, okay, well you're deferring income. Uh, and you're putting off paying tax on it, you're, you're going to def- take basically part of your salary and put it uh, to those years where you're not going to be working. And, uh, it, you know, it, when, a, when a person gets to a certain age, and that has been changing, but, you know, 70 and a half, they're, they're increasing it uh, as well. So, you know, once you're at a certain, certain age, you have to start taking out distributions from your retirement plan because Congress is saying you can't just put this off forever. Uh, eventually, you're going to have to pay tax on it. And so once that person reaches the age where they have to take a required minimum distribution, uh, they have to start taking that uh, money out and they have to pay tax on it. Uh, the CARES Act actually, again, for people affected, this is, you know, not for everybody, uh, but for, uh, for uh, people who uh, have... Uh, been uh, affected by their uh, portfolio going down. People, you know, essentially Congress said uh, you don't have to take a required minimum distribution this year. Let me back up. This is really not even uh, if you're affected by uh, the coronavirus or not. You don't have to take a required minimum distribution every year. You can skip it this year. That doesn't apply to inherited IRAs. That's really important. Uh, If someone has an IRA they got from a parent, uh, then, uh, because their parent passed away, and they were re- taking required mi- minimum distributions uh, prior to this year, uh, they have to take the required min- minimum distribution this year. Now, some people may say, well, what happens if I've already taken my required min- minimum distribution for the year, and now I find out I don't have to, uh, I, I, I don't have a retire, I don't have a, uh, an inherited IRA, uh, can I can I uh, give the money back? And the answer is yes, you can, provided that you do it within 60 days of 
receiving the distribution. So uh, it's really important that people are aware of that. Uh, if you've already gotten it, uh, you, it's, it's much harder once that 60-day period has passed. You can uh, offer some proof and hope that they'll let you uh, roll it back over, but you have to do it within the 60-day period uh, if you've already taken it. But if you haven't taken it this year and it's not an inherited IRA, then you don't have to take it this year. And again, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to confuse everyone because you, it does, this is the one that doesn't depend on whether you're affected by coronavirus, whereas uh, early withdrawals and, and things like that do depend on being affected by the coronavirus. That is very good to know because a lot of individuals, you know, if you have an IRA, hopefully you're in a good financial position. And if you don't need to take that money, it's nice to know you don't have to withdraw it. So let's do back up just a little bit. You're not, what if you're not retired yet? You're still working. You're contributing to a retirement plan or maybe you're contributing to an IRA. What if you want to take some money from that? Tell us about an early withdrawal from a retirement plan or from an IRA. I will. And, you know, that's that's it's such a good question. And, uh, you know, if you ta- start taking uh, withdrawals from your retirement plan before the age of 59 and a half, you have to pay a penalty uh, of 10 percent. So that's really bad. Uh, and the only time that's not true is if you use the money for qualified education expenses or if you use the money for unreimbursed medical expenses. So there are some exceptions to that. But typically speaking, uh, people cannot take early withdrawals from their retirement plan. But because of the CARES Act, uh, if someone has been affected by the coronavirus, uh, again, that's if they've been tested for it, their spouse has been tested for it, if they've lost uh, income because of it, uh, and they can sh- substantiate that, then um, you can take an early withdrawal without a penalty. And so someone who is not 59 and a half could, in fact, withdraw that money. Um, but they have to pay taxes on that withdrawal uh, over a three-year period. And the other thing is, or they can repay it within three years. So in a way, it's like you can take a loan out of your retirement plan, but you've got to repay it within three years. Uh, if you don't repay it within three years, then you, gotta pay, you have to pay taxes on it within three years. So it's a choice. But you've got to, to, to avoid the penalty, you have to substantiate that you needed it because of something due to coronavirus. Right. The, unless, unless again, the, the ger- typical exceptions are you can use it for qualified medical expenses or, or uh, unreimbursed medical expenses, qualified educational expenses. There are some exceptions generally uh, that still apply. Right. Um, one thing I should point out is that the Roth IRAs are different. And I know we have a caller, but I want to point out that Roth IRAs are different because um, with a Roth IRA, you can always take out your contribution because you've already paid tax on the contribution. If you take a if you withdraw from a Roth IRA early, then you have to pay tax on the uh, the amount uh, that it has grown. So any in- interest or income that has been generated by the Roth above and beyond the contribution is taxable prior to fifty nine and a half. So you know Roth, if you have a Roth IRA, make sure you talk to your tax advisor because those rules are are different. But the I guess the benefit of the Roth is if you are over 59 and a half, when you make a withdrawal from a Roth IRA, you do not have to pay taxes on that gain? That's right. As long as you've had that Roth IRA for at least five years. 
Uh, you know, what, what Congress didn't want people to do is for people to say, OK, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll some money into a, a Roth IRA, uh, do well in the stock market, do well as in an investment for a couple of years and then start pulling money out tax free. That's not what they wanted. They wanted it to be there for a longer term. So it's got to be at least in for five years. And once you're 59 and a half, you can take it out tax free. Excellent. We do have a call. Let's go to Lewis, who has called in from Franklin County. Lewis, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today on our tax show. What's your comment or question for Professor Gershon? Because I don't know anything. <laughs> okay, yes, my mom, she's uh, she's retired. She's 82, and she received uh, peers from uh, and, uh, she, she, gets, she gets a uh, cost of living adjustment notice every year. I just took over over uh, or doing our finance and sell for, and uh, which what is taxable the the, the peers uh, are the cost of living adjustment. All right. Well, so she was. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming she then she was a state employee and she's got a pension. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So really, um, it, it's it's all taxable. Uh, because that is income replacement. So, you know, um, when someone starts uh, taking money out of uh, that, you know, any any annuity like that where they've been that where money has been paid in pre-tax, once they take it out, it's it's all taxable, and they do have to report it. Okay, uh, on the on the monthly statement, it says uh, tax exempt. Is that yes for the state or, or federal? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and I think um, I'd have to see the statement. But yeah, certainly, if some of it is designated as tax exempt, then that might be that some of it was invested in tax exempt uh, uh, in a tax exempt way. Um, so, there, you know, again, because it's complicated, everybody's situation is different. But typically, retirement uh, money that someone gets that was uh, created by pre-tax dollars is going to be taxable. So, yeah, I would, I would, uh, if it says, if it's got an amount on there that says tax exempt, then I would not report that. But the rest of it, including the cost of living adjustment, would be taxable. Okay, so I need to know. I thank you. Lewis, we want to remind you, we did have the uh, director of peers was on Money Talks on December 17th of 2019. That is Ray Higgins. And we have a podcast. If you'd like to listen to that, uh, Money Talks is the name of the podcast. It was December 17th, 2019. And you can find that at moneytalks.mpbonline.com. Org. We are talking with our very own Professor Richard Gershon about the tax changes for 2019 and 2020. Now, before the CARES Act, there was another Trump administration tax legislation. What was it again? We'll tell you that next. Thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio and In Legal Terms. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. 
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope that you listen and subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms out there. If you've got one of these Apple phones, it already has a podcasting app on it. I have Android, and I decided to download Podcast Addict. I put it on my phone. I can touch a plus, and that takes me to a page to search for podcasts. Then I typed in in legal terms in the search area, and it brings up, and we are the only in legal terms. I'm able to touch the photo of it and then subscribe, and then I'm notified anytime there's a new episode loaded up, which we usually load them up uh, the afternoon of the show. So this morning we're talking about tax law changes affecting 2019 and 2020 with our very own Professor Richard Gershon. Uh, to remind you, everyone who has had a little nap, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed in 2017. And we'll talk about also some of those changes today. But first, we've got a, quite a few calls to go to. Uh, we've been talking about IRAs. Let's go talk about them a little bit more with Bob from Hattiesburg. Bob, thanks so much for calling in. What is your comment or question for Professor Gershon on in legal terms? Hi, Professor and uh, Liz. Uh, two quick questions. Number one, is there ever an advantage of rolling a regular IRA, a self-directed IRA, rolling it into a Roth IRA, or is that even possible? And the second one is, uh, is with, with regard to early withdrawal from a regular IRA without tax impact under the COVID-19 uh, new tax laws, do you have to be actually ill or diagnosed with COVID-19, or can you be economically impacted by COVID-19, like losing your job to get a uh, penalty-free withdrawal? Those are my two questions. Well, thank you for those questions. And I'll answer the second one first. Uh, you, no, you don't have to have COVID-19. You just have to be affected economically. So, yeah, so you would have to show that you had a reduction in hours or that you lost your job or, you know, some some reduction in, in uh, your uh, ability uh, to pay bills and things like that without uh, being able to go into the uh, the IRA and take an early distribution. So there has to be you have to show some impact, but it doesn't have to be the actual illness itself. Um, now, as to your first question, it's a really good question is, is there an advantage to rolling a regular IRA, which will be taxable when you start to make withdrawals? into a Roth IRA. And um, that really depends. I mean, when you when you roll your regular IRA into a Roth IRA, what that does is you're going to trigger ta taxation right then. So you're going to have to pay tax on any uh, any income from the IRA. Uh, and if all your contributions were, were pre-tax, then you would have to be uh, taxed on the entire amount. And then once you put it into the Roth, once you roll it into the Roth, then any future appreciation is not um, is not taxable on that when you when you withdraw it as long as you hold it for at least five years. So the question is, is that a good good thing to do? And it really depends, and a lot of it depends on 
what's going to happen in the market and how long you're going to uh, have that IRA before you need it. You know, if, if, if uh, you know you're going to have lots of years and you think the market's going to increase and that uh, the value of that IRA is going to increase as a Roth IRA, then it may be, it may be worth it. But remember that you're prepaying the taxes, essentially. So the IRS uh, has figured this out, that um, in, in, they're, they're pretty, pretty equal in a lot of ways because if we pay the tax now, then we're giving up the use of that money to, to grow our IRA over the next several years, and they're getting the money up front. They're getting it now. Uh, so there's there's a benefit to time value of money. Uh, with a, a regular IRA, you're putting off that tax till later, uh, but you're going to have to pay it uh, down the road. So uh, it really is something that I almost feel like in some ways a Roth IRA is a little bit like backing into a parking space because uh, you're doing all the work ahead of time, and then you, you have the benefit of not having to back out. Um, similarly, once you once you pay the tax, then you don't have to pay it again. So I think you, that's something you have to talk to your own personal financial advisor to see whether it's the right thing for you because it's right for some people but not right for everybody. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate you calling in. Now, the reasons, I'm kind of using finger quotation marks, the reasons for making your early withdrawal from a retirement account that you are still contributing for COVID, who do you tell these reasons to? I mean, are you going to get a letter from the IRS or uh, who, who do you have to tell your financial institution that holds your IRA? Well, I think I think really the way that this rule is set up is you just have to have the substantiation somehow. And that is if you were to get uh, get audited, uh, you would want to have that substantiation to show that you were you took this without a penalty. And you'd want to report that uh, in the year that you took the money out because, uh, you know, otherwise you would be subject to a 10 percent penalty. If you're, if you're withdrawing this before you're 59 and a half, you are subject to a 10 percent penalty. So uh, there will be when someone files their their taxes, there'll be a way to substantiate that this was, in fact, uh, caused by uh, some covid related, either the illness itself or uh, by a financial uh, loss because of covid. Um, and so, you know, if you're not audited, you may never actually have to prove it. But I would I would be careful not to, you know, not to uh, play fast and loose with that. Well, and, and it's good to have that substantiation documentation now, because three to seven years from now, you might not be able to find that piece of paper. But if you have it and it's somewhere careful, then if you should get audited, you'll have it available. That's right. All right, let's go to the phones some more. We've got Dean from Biloxi. Dean, thank you so much for calling into In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Hi, quick question. Were any of the recent changes, would they have any impact on military personnel planning on retiring in the next few years? So like pension, disability, or survivor benefit annuity for a spouse. Thanks. Uh, they, they they do, uh, and in fact, there is the the COVID um, uh, relief tax relief act does have some provisions for military. And the the best thing I can tell you, this really is because this is not an area of my expertise, but the irs.gov backslash individuals backslash military list all of these. 
Uh, it really does. It, it's, it's a good resource for specifically for current and former military. Uh, there is uh, publication three freely available publication on IRS's uh, uh, website for that is the Armed Forces Tax Guide uh, that includes tax breaks for you and your family. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of benefits there that um, we could do a whole show and I could get an expert on on this specific particular area, but uh, pretty easily easily navigatable uh, website IRS. Uh, again, .gov backslash individuals backslash military. And, and Liz, if we could put that on our, our website, that'd be great. Thanks, Dean, for that call. And man, Professor Gershon, you just ruined my next thing. We, that was my little tease for the going into the next segment. But uh, you're, you're forgiven. So. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now everybody pretend you didn't hear what Professor Gershon said. What's a good website for tax information? I'm going to tell you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Okay, now everybody act surprised. IRS.gov has <laughs> so many links and so much information about taxes, the economic impact payments. Man, I don't know how many times we've gone to check, no, get my payment. Um, uh, the, the, the son moved and he only had to pay in, so the IRS doesn't know where he lives and the check is in the mail and we don't know where the mail is so uh, but uh, that uh, economic impact payment professor Gershon the some people call it the the stimulus that's the recovery rebate now that let's skip to that real quick that is a gift that is a credit that's is that taxable? It's not taxable. It's considered really a. It's it's almost like uh, uh, you know a return of. It's really a rebate, is what it is. It's a rebate of, of past taxes. Uh, in essence, they're lowering the tax rate for some people retroactively, and so that is not taxable. Although. Uh, you have to check your own state law, and in fact, Alabama is one of those states that actually may tax that because of it because of a quirk in its law, uh, because they actually treat uh, federal credits as still state income uh, under state law. So, check if you live in Alabama, and some of our listeners do. You need to check with somebody there. But uh, you know it t- that w- they will not be taxable uh, as a pr- as a practical matter in in most states, and they're not tax taxable on your federal return either. Now, check me on this, Professor Gershon. I think if 
if you haven't gotten your economic impact payment, it got lost in the mail, you had it sent to a bank that you had the account closed, yada, 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 then that will be a credit on your 20. April 2021, when you fill out the taxes for 2020? That's right. It's that because, again, it is like a considered tax that's already been paid. Uh, and that's why you get a rebate and it's not taxable. Um, but you want to make sure you check that because make sure, you know, there, there, there are scammers out there. And that could be a whole different show for a different, uh, different time. Uh, you want to make sure that that check has not been misappropriated by someone and, because you don't want to have to try to substantiate that you didn't get it. Get my payment is the IRS area when you go to check for where your payment is. And I think some of them are still being sent out um, either in the uh, terms of paper checks or these debit cards that come in the mail. So be on the lookout if you think you're going to be getting a stimulus check and you haven't gotten it yet. We've got a phone call waiting. Let's go to Craig in Biloxi. Craig, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Okay, I'm trying to figure out how and where to pay these different taxes. And since you said they're all individual, I'll give you an example. Is If you're not working, you're not filing an income tax, and you take money out of the IRA early or whatever, and you owe tax. Where do you file that? Okay, that would be that would be on your uh, your ten forty for the year that you withdrew uh, the income. Now you you do have three years to repay it, so you can you can avoid paying tax on it altogether. If if you know, hopefully the economy recovers and you're in a better position, and you can put that money back in to your IRA, then you with if you do it within three years then you won't have to pay tax on it. So you can essentially take a loan uh, from it for three years. You can also, during that time, again, you know, hopefully that everything will recover, you can actually also make your, your regular annual contribution in addition to the repayment amount. So you know, that's one way to do it. Now, if you, if you can't repay it, then you have to pay taxes on it over three years, and that's just on your, on your 1040. You would report that as withdrawal from an IRA. There's a place to do that, uh, and uh, that would be uh, fully taxable. Okay, so most of these taxes, like your gift tax and your and your your IRA taxes and, and any any other things, they you have you would have to have a, an income tax form and do it that way. That's right. And if, if if that's the only income you have to report, you know, something you, a lot of the forms are very simple. There's an easy uh, for certain types of income for certain types of taxpayers. Typically, someone who's just getting employment income uh, or uh, it, that doesn't have. Uh, doesn't have itemized deductions, but yeah, you do need a form. And uh, now the the estate and gift tax are totally separate. They're a totally separate issue, uh, and most people will not need uh, to file those. Uh, but uh, if you have income that you have to report, you do it on your on a 1040 uh, and send that to the Internal Revenue Service. You also need to think about uh, potentially that uh, if you live in Mississippi, that could be taxable, and you have to file a, a similar form uh, to the Mississippi Department of Revenue just uh, because that. Yeah, it would be a smaller taxable amount, but still taxable. Okay, I saw the term intangible taxes. Could you explain that to me, and where are they paid? 
Well, Tennessee has, for example, because Tennessee does not have an income tax per se, and so they, they have an intangible tax. And so what they'll do is they'll take uh, the value of the assets that you have, uh, stocks, or would be a good example of intangibles, or bank accounts, intangibles, because uh, they represent ownership and something else, and they may tax a percentage of your intangibles. That would be a separate way to raise taxes. Uh, you know, they're, they're really uh, similar to a property tax. You know, when we think about a real a property, uh, you know, we could see real estate. We could stand on real estate. Um, an intangible represents something else. So if I own a share of stock, that share of stock represents a percentage of ownership of a, of a business. And so I could be taxed on that intangible ownership in some states. Okay, well, I'm going to sit down and scratch my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk talk to someone. I mean, you know, especially if you can't, you know, whoever has the uh, IRA that you're going to withdraw uh, money from if you need to do that. Talk to them. They should help you with this. I mean, you know, they they, they service your uh, your account for you uh, wherever it is, whether it's a bank or, a, you know, a, a trust account or something. They should help you understand the rules for withdrawing and help you understand how you how you report this income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Craig. We appreciate you calling in. Um, IRAs, man, this is I'm so glad we have so many calls about IRAs because sometimes you hear statistics that a lot of people aren't saving for retirement. And it it, uh, warms the cockles of my heart to know that so many people do have IRAs. They are thinking about saving for retirement. Professor Gershon, we had a call that couldn't stay on the line, and they had a question about withdrawing money from an IRA to pay to put a down payment on a house. Um, I don't know if it was a Roth IRA or a regular IRA. Can you talk about is that a is that a doable is that an exception and is there do you pay taxes on that? Right, you do. Yeah, if you take, you can take an early withdrawal to make a down payment on your first residence, uh, up to ten thousand dollars. And so there is a limited exception for withdrawing from an IRA uh, prior to age fifty nine and a half to make to make a down payment on a on a first. Resident. So it's the idea is to help people buy their first home. Uh, and that's a, a situation where we want to encourage homeownership. We want to encourage people to save for retirement. IRS uh, and Congress you know, struck a balance there to let people take out some money from the IRA, penalty-free but not tax-free, to apply to a down payment on their first home. Again, you can also withdraw early for ed- qualified educational expenses, uh, for unreimbursed medical expenses. That's true even without any kind of COVID impact. All right. And uh, I don't know if y'all can tell because I hawk it a lot, but I'm also the producer for Money Talks. We're going to be talking with a mortgage broker on July 14th about first homes. And I was surprised to find out that technically a first home is just if you haven't owned a home for three years or if you owned a home with a spouse, but now you're separating from that spouse and you're buying your own home yourself, that counts as a first house. So that that is good to know. It is. I mean, we, 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 
homes sometimes are not exactly what you would expect in common sense. You know, so you would think the first home is actually the first home, but there, there are different definitions of how you uh, determine whether somebody has got their first home. So I'm glad you said that. Okay, 30 seconds left. What about for 2019 uh, charitable contributions before they had it where you got a great big standard deduction and you couldn't itemize your charitable contributions? Did that change? Yeah, it's still, that's still changed. But what they did do was that you can give a $300 cash contribution even if you use the standard deduction. And that $300 will come directly off your gross income uh, in calculating your adjusted gross income. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's a, a special deal that you can take that $300 in addition to your standard deduction. Well, and there are lots of charities that are helping COVID individuals, so that might be a, a nice thing to do. Professor Gershon, we're finished. Thank you so much for stepping up and being our expert expert today. That's my pleasure. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I did the best I could. Oh, well, we're so glad that you are with In Legal Terms. Hey, he volunteers, guys. That's uh, He's well worth what we pay him. <laughs> That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Thank you, Java Chapman and Jay White, for helping us out. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.